So it's a new year. We, uh, we like celebrating days, I guess, because it's really just another, another day. But it does mean you have to write 2017. I remember when I was a kid, and it, uh, oh, I'm going back a ways, but went to 1990. And having to write that nine instead of like 86 or 87 or 89, and it just felt really, really strange to go 1909-something. Many of you can probably think of different decades where that happened. Um, 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe even, oh, well, that's a bad conversation to have maybe, but it's a new year. And uh, often on New Year's, our world, our population, our society decides that New Year's is a great time for resolutions. We're going to change the world this year. We couldn't do it last year because last year was 2016 and that was unacceptable. But 2017 is going to be very, very different. It's going to be, it's a whole new me, 2017. Uh, so things like uh, gym memberships triple in January because it's a whole new year I'm gonna do it this year this is the this is the year how long does that usually last do you most people get out of January or somewhere in the middle of January are they going to that gym and saying is there a refund policy most people are too chicken to do that at a gym actually they just let the money go Resolutions are actually, when you think about it, um, when positive change is needed, resolutions are a wonderful thing. You know, the, the thought process of saying that this is the year that I don't want to do what I did before. I don't, want to, I don't want to have the same mistakes as before. I don't want to fall into the same traps as before. That's actually a great thing. It's actually a really wonderful thing to think that now, this moment from here on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do better. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to change the... the the resolution isn't the hard part, right? The resolution isn't even the negative part. What, what actually is? Because wanting to change and wanting something good or wanting something new or wanting life to be better in some way, that's not a negative thing. That's a really good... Often we kind of joke about resolutions, but that's actually a really good thing. The hard part, the difficult part for us, is actually then going through the difficulty, because change is often difficult, going through the difficulty of actually seeing that change through to see results, right? So we use the example of people going to a gym. They go to a gym and they, they spend that first week really working hard, right? Now, how often do you see really grand results in the first week of working out if 2016 saw no working out? Well, that first week is really, really hard, right? Because you're using muscles that you forgot that you had, and they're screaming at you like, no, I wanted to be forgotten, leave me alone. And so now you've got this whole week, and what results do you see from that week? Other than it's really hard to get up off the couch because you're in pain or, or something like that, you don't see really a lot of results, so people stop at that point. Well, the resolution has to be more than that, right? It has to be more than just, well, I'm going to give it the old college try for a week. You have to be more than that. We have to desire for the change to actually happen. So we need to be reviewing life, right? We need to be reviewing life, seeing where changes need to be made, and actually putting the work in to make that positive change an actual, real reality in life. Instead of just quickly falling back into the old habits. 
going back to what we did all of 2016 or 15 or 14 or whenever we made resolutions in the past. Positive change, I can say quite honestly, probably needs to be made in all of our lives in some areas because we're not, we're not perfect, right? None of you looked shocked when I said that. That's good. We're not, we're not perfect. Okay, so one of you looked shocked. We're not, we're not perfect. And so we do need to have positive change. We do need to, to be assessing life and saying, okay, this is, this is my shortcomings. These are the things that I need to work on. This is what I have to change. This is what I, I really want to, to do differently. You know, one of, the, one of the really great truths of the gospel of of scripture is opening up and seeing that God has actually called us to that very same thing. God has not said, okay, well, when you, when you are perfect, then come and talk to me. I mean, he recognizes that man isn't, right? Or else he wouldn't have sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. He recognizes that we're not perfect, and he calls us to a relationship with him while we aren't perfect. He desires for us to come into that pleasing relationship with him while we are still sinners. That is, if you've never really given that much thought, and I assume you have most of the time have thought about that, that is very profound. Where would we be if God desired for us only to be at peace with him when we had earned it? Or deserved it. Or were perfect enough to come to him and say, well, now, now I can have the blood of your son wash me whiter than snow, um, even though I've, I've already done that myself. Well, that wasn't ever going to happen. So God comes to us while we are still sinners, while we are still his enemy, and says, look, this is the plan. This is the plan of salvation. You need to make these positive changes in your life. So that we can have our sins forgiven. So we can have new life in Christ Jesus. So we don't have to be trapped in that, in that old way of life. So we can make the changes that need to be made. Being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. What a blessing that is. What a blessing that is. Not, not just in 2017, but in every, every day, every moment that we can live. Knowing that we've been washed clean. We have to be able to understand that we need to make changes. One of the very first, in fact, I think it was the very first lesson that I ever did in, in Dauphin. Uh, first starting out and fairly young and fairly nervous. And I took up with me uh, all my stuff and I was ready to go. And, you know, I had it all figured out. Um, and looking back at it, it was a terrible decision. I, I took a pen with me. And it was, wasn't one of those just, actually I have pens here too, but I don't play with them. But I, it was one of those little click pens. And I spent the whole, I forget how long it was, but it was probably longer than it needed to be. I spent the whole time clicking that pen. And I don't remember clicking it once, but someone came up to me after and said, okay, you know, that was a, that was a good lesson. Um, 
but you probably don't want to take a pen up with you anymore. Now, they didn't quite say it that way. Maybe I'm saying it. But they don't, probably don't want to take a pen up with you anymore. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't think I had a pen. They're like, no, you, you had a pen. We lost track at about 4,000. How many times you clicked it in the time you were up there? So I, I don't now I have this thing. I get to click it, and it goes. But uh, I don't have to carry a pen with me anymore. And, and one of the things that I, I've always thought about that, you know, is if we're going to make changes, if we're going to have resolutions, if we're going to get rid of the old way of life, we're going to get rid of sin, is we can't carry it with us anymore. Because, you know, that person came and said, you, can't click, you shouldn't click a pen when you're trying to, to talk. And so what do I have to do then? Do I take the pen up with me and just say, well, I'm not going to click it this year? <laughs> I'm going to carry it, but I'm not going to click it. Because what happens? I mean, just instinctively in your brain, you get thinking about something else, you get talking, and, or reading the bulletin or whatever you're doing at this moment, and what happens? You just start clicking it because it's just sitting there in your hand, waiting to be clicked, needing to be clicked. It, it just calls out to you subconsciously, and you don't even... <laughs> You don't even think about it, and all of a sudden, it's happening. So why would you then go into a new year and say, well, I'm going to make all these changes, but I'm going to carry with me the temptation. I'm going to carry with me the sin. I'm going to carry with me all that leads me to sin, but I'm going to be a different person this year. I'm going to change. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give in to that temptation. I'm going to go to the same places that caused temptation that I went last year, but I'm not going to give in this year. I'm stronger. It's a, it's a whole new me. And just like everyone who signed up for a gym membership this morning, uh, in about a week, what's going to happen? Well, you know what? One time a month is, is all right. So I'll, I'll go this one time and it, I'll give in to that temptation. Just, just this one time though, okay? Because it's a whole new, whole new me. And then what happens? Well, one really isn't that big of a deal. Twice actually is actually acceptable. You know, I've, I've thought about it and convince myself that twice is actually the way to go and then what happens it's just the same repetitive thing that it was the year before right and it doesn't take long to just say well you know what maybe next year I'll, I'll really I'll really dive into this resolution next year because next year is 2018 and that's really when I should have started this anyway Why? why? Why does it have to be like that? You can, just, you can just set that pen down and not click it anymore. Will there be temptation to? Will there be the temptation to go, oh, it's, I know it's there. I mean, I know it's there. And I really, I really want to click it. In fact, the more I talk about it, the more I want to get down and get my pen and come back up and just click it. But it, I don't have to. I gave that up many years ago. That, that temptation. But it takes the removal of it. I have, over the years, tried to comprehend the love that God has for me. I mean, really, really understand it. Really, really delve into it and know, well, this is it. I figured it out. Why God was willing to send his son for me, why he loves me so very much, why, why he was willing to call on me. And I spent quite a few years thinking about it. 
And if you've got it figured out, I would gladly like to hear your explanation. But God's love is so profoundly amazing that I have accepted that it is that. That it is because of who God is. And that he has called me then because of who he is, even though I may not fully ever understand the depth of his love, that he has called me to that change, to be something different, to be something new. And I'm not going to work my way toward it. Uh, I'm going to respond to love that God has given me. I'm going to respond to it by being obedient. I'm going to respond to the forgiveness he gives. But it's because of him. Because of the depth of his love. And I think often, uh, I think often we as, we as Christians, we need to be reminded of the gospel. And maybe it's just me. Maybe you'll come to me later and say, no, that's, that was just you, Randy. But I, I think we need to be reminded of the true nature of the gospel. That is not us, but it is God. Go on to 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you'd like to follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll start at the beginning of the chapter. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you may have believed in vain. For what I received, uh, I passed on to you, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom were still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. So here is... Here is this reminder of the gospel. Why, why do we need this reminder of the gospel? Why do we as Christians need to be reminded of the gospel? Surely, we as Christians know the gospel, do we not? Right? Yes? We're all in agreement? So why do we need to be reminded? Why, why do we have to have a, a, a remembrance, a time of remembrance? You know, it was, uh, my brother was here the other day, and we were talking about different things, and uh, we were talking about different stories, and... and his uh, version of stories is wrong, um, more often than not, because uh, he remembers them incorrectly. So my version is, is correct. Um, I'm older, so that's just the way it goes. Um, but why, why do we need to be reminded? Because often our, our minds stray, and we don't remember things. But in the conversation with my brother, you know, I was thinking about uh, different people, thinking about different uh, family members, uh, and got thinking about, uh, about my grandfather, who passed uh, a few years ago, many years ago, I guess. Um, and I, I was thinking about that, and, and I got thinking about later after we had talked about it, that I hadn't thought about my grandpa in a while. And, and my first thought was, well, that kind of makes you a bad grandson, because he was a fairly influential figure in my life um, for many years, throughout most of my childhood into, into adolescence. I, and, and I got thinking, well why, well, why is it that I hadn't thought about him in a while? I mean... He was so important in my life. Why hadn't I given any thought to him in, I can't remember. Well, when, when's the last time it came up in conversation? 
When, when's the last time the story jumped into my head? When, when was the last time, you know, there was something that triggered a, a memory? Often, if we don't have those things, we forget. You know, you, you walk into a room, and, and there's a certain smell in the room, and instantly you can remember a childhood memory. You ever had that happen? Well, sure you have. You walk in, there's a certain smell, and all of a sudden it triggers a memory that you haven't thought about in years, and you think, man, that was such a fantastic day. That was... I, that was so wonderful. I don't ever want to forget that day again. When's the last time you thought about that day? That memory triggered. Probably the last time you walked into that room and it smelled a certain way or you saw a certain picture or you, you saw somebody. Because our, our minds don't work that way. It's, it's amazing to me how many people I'll run into of you uh, just randomly or seeing you in the, in the course of a week. And if I'm not wearing my tie, you look twice. Like, oh, oh yeah, hey, I know you. You're not wearing your tie. It's like, no, I don't often wear a tie. In fact, I only put this noose on on Sundays. And yes, I don't like the tie, but it's all right. But why do we not think that way? We know it triggers different memories, right? Why, why are we called to be reminded of the gospel? If we weren't called to be reminded of the gospel, it would be like those same memories. And we can't ever have that, as Christians, we can't have that happen. We need to be reminded of the gospel. In fact, you go back into the, into the passage which you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 3 says, for, I received, for what I received, I passed on to you as of, what? The NIV, it says, of first importance. Or on to you at the first. Why? Why does this become so important that he passes this information on first? This, this is what we taught you first. This is of grand importance. So we're going to teach you first about Christ who died, who is buried, who, who lives. Why? And if this is so important, and we know that it is, why isn't it what we want to discuss or talk about or teach as of first importance now. Is it? Is it? Well, we're in agreement that it is. So then the, the question is, is, okay, let's review the past year. How many times did it uh, come up in random conversation? Not, not in... Uh, Sunday morning conversation, but in, in random conversation that you talked with someone about the gospel, about Christ, who died, who was buried, and who lived. Okay, so then add on to that. How many, how many times did you talk about the gospel with someone who wasn't in agreement with you? about the gospel. Because it's easy for me to come and talk to you, I'm gonna, I won't pick anyone of the crowd, but to most of you and say, hey man, isn't it great that Christ died for us? And you're all like, yeah, it is, because we agree, right? But how about with someone who, who doesn't? Or someone who is, is questioning, or someone that you know is, is thinking about it, or someone you know that ne needs to hear it? It becomes more difficult, right? And there's a challenge placed in front of us to then actually go maybe out of the comfort zone of the relationship or out of the comfort zone of the friendship and actually then strive to do what 
Scripture actually calls for us as Christians to do because of it being of first importance. Now, our, our society really frowns on that. Talking about God outside of church. Not in 2017. I mean, holy... Who, who are we? If, if we are asked, who, who are we? What, what are we going to say? I am a part of what? We read a passage at the very beginning that says we are a part of what? We are all members of the same body, and that body is what? The church. We are all members of that. And if we are of members of the church, if we are then taking on the name of Christ, who is our Savior, who is our Lord, who is the Son of God, who died for us, then how do we then not want to share with everyone this, which is of first importance? We, we should want to be telling everyone that Christ died. Right? Right? I mean, it, it, it really should be something that we want to tell. Now, again, I'm not saying that in every conversation we ever have that this is going to come up. Or in every situation are we going to say, oh, by the way, Christ died for you. All right? It may not come up in every conversation. But, but can we work at being more than we were? Going to Matthew, the end of Matthew, the call for us is to do what? We know this. We've read this passage many, many times. The call for us is to do what? To save yourself. The ship is sinking. Is, is, that, is that really what it says there? Come to know Christ, and once you've been saved, whew, just relax, man. It's good from here on out. Is that... It? I seem to remember it saying something else. We who understand and know the gospel should understand also then the call to do what? Go. Go therefore and preach, teach, share the gospel with people. Teach them to understand and obey. Baptize. Because we want people to understand that Christ died. And more than that, that Christ lives. Christ died, went to the cross, and in that death, he took on our death, he took on our sin. But if it had ended there, would there be any hope? Would there be any victory? Sometimes I wait for the response. I'm not going to, you can all shake your head. No, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be any hope there. There wouldn't be any victory there. But we know that Christ lives. So there is hope. There is victory. There is this eternity of life with him. And that is profoundly uh, life-changing for us. To the point where we can't hold on to that our, ourselves. We can't hold on to that ourselves. And, tr and truly then say, we're living the way that God has called us to live. We sing a kid's song, and we don't sing it often, but we sing a kid's song, uh, This Little Light of Mine. What's the point of that story, or that song? You've all, you've all sung it. Don't pretend you haven't. What's the point of that song? This little light of mine. I'm not going to sing it because that would be cruel and unusual for the first Sunday of the year. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Why? 
you're not gonna you're not gonna take it and put it under a bowl. You're not gonna blow it out. It, what, why? Why do you have that white? What, what's it good for? Well, if we have this white and we have this truth of the gospel, we have this wonderful gospel of Christ dying, being buried, and living, then we want to have that light and take it and share it. You go to Matthew chapter 5 and it tells you what? Who are you? What are you? You are salt and light. You are, okay? Not you can try to be or you can maybe accept it later or you are salt and you are light. So what are you doing with that? Okay, so resolutions. Uh, I kind of uh, jokingly talked about resolutions to start with. And in this day in particular, many people are making resolutions. But I think we need to recognize that there has to be change. So then the question is, what changes? What changes need to be made? What changes do I need to, to make uh, in the life that I've been living? What, what changes do you need to make in the life you've been living, uh, in particular with your relationship with God, in the call that he's placed on you and how you're to live and how you're to share? Do you need to make changes? Do you need to be more patient? Do you need to be kinder? Do you need to be more loving? Do you need to study your Bible more? Do you need to have a better prayer life? Do you need to forgive someone? There's, there's a lot of changes that we can make, but we have to, we have to look at our lives in, in truth. That, that can be difficult sometimes and scary. It's easier just to say, well, you know, I'm probably doing good. Well, let's just leave it. But to actually look and say, well, what changes do I actually have to make? And some, and some changes need to be made quicker than others. Um, some will take longer than others, uh, but we can't put them off. We can't allow them to fester and grow. We can't let, allow the desire to change, fade. Um, one of the big ones, uh, always, is repentance. That we, as Christians, have to be a people that understand and know the importance of repentance. And not, not as a start, not just as a start to our life of being at peace with God, but it's, it's a vital and crucial part of our life with God. Because when I became a Christian, God didn't say, okay, from now on, I know that you sinned before, but you're going to be perfect from here on out. Has he called us to be? Well, that's the desire, right? To be holy because he is holy? To weave our old self behind? But even Paul recognizes that what, what happens. You know, you go read through the passage, it's wonderful because it's confusingly great, but I do the things that I don't want to do, and sometimes I don't do what I want to do, but I don't do the things that I... Okay, go through it and read it, it's great. Uh, but we have these things that we understand that, that sometimes we do them even though we didn't want... And what happens when that happens? Do we just hold on to them and say, well, you know what, I was baptized like 50 years ago, so this is, this is okay, I'll hold on to this. 50 was a bigger number than I intended to say, but it's all right. Uh, 20 years ago, 10 years, 5, does it matter? Do we hold on to them and say, well, you know what, I, I don't need to do anything about this? Or has God called us to something? God has called us to repentance, right? That we need to, we need to repent, we need to change who we are, we need to change what we have and come back to him. 
And if we're not willing to admit that we are sinners, if we're not willing to admit that we've sinned, then what does Scripture say about he who claims to be without sin? Well, it's, it's not very complimentary, is it? It says that he who claims to be without sin is a liar. Now, we understand the power of grace, and we know what grace has done. It has washed us clean. I mean, that, there is just nothing greater than that, to know that grace has washed us clean, and that we have peace with God, that he remembers our sins no more. But he calls us to continually be growing closer to him, to be more and more like him. To repent so that when we come into this relationship, we can be joint heirs with Jesus. We can be joint heirs with his son. Go back into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But if it is preached that Christ has not been raised from the dead, starting in verse 12, sorry. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all may, will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his foot. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, the Son himself will be made subject to the him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. We are, we are joint heirs. Him who has died, him who has been raised. Christ Jesus has indeed been raised to life. And we are a part of that. We are connected to that. So there has to be some changes. There has to be some, maybe some resolutions. But in fact, I think one of the big ones is that we have to be resolute. Our world, and how to put this nicely, 
Our world does not know God. And so what does it want from us? It wants us also to not know God. So the call will be to take that which is the truth, to take that which is God's word, the call that God has placed on us, and to change it. To change it to fit into what the world says is acceptable. Do you guys ever have those, those toys when you were a kid, and I think it was blue and red, and one side was blue and one side was red, and it had blocks in it, and had certain holes of different shapes, and you could, you could pull it apart and all the pieces would fall out, and then you had to go and put all the pieces back in through the holes, and they would sit inside of this, this toy. You guys ever played with that? If not, I think there's one in the, in the toy room. Uh, don't all get up at once, but uh, the, the point was you had to put all these things in. Now you could sit there and you could take one piece and you could try to fit it in another spot, another hole. Would it fit? What if you spent a year doing it? Would you get it in? Well, I mean, if you spent a long time, you'd probably get it in. Right? You could fit that in the wrong hole. Just like a, a puzzle, if you want to put the wrong piece in, well, you can make it work. I mean, I'm down to... I don't know where that piece is, but I'm going to make this one fit because I'm getting, I'm done with this puzzle. It's, it may go all like this and not have any edges or anything, but I got all the pieces in. I, is, that, is that the intent? Is that the purpose? Does it actually work that way? So when God calls us to a certain pattern, to a certain uh, level of obedience, to a certain standard of how we're to live, uh, how do we react? How we're to love? How we're to be kind and gentle? All of these things, patient. And we say, well, you know what? It doesn't really fit into our society. Can you not? Can you not just then take God? Can you not just take God's word? Can you not just take the call that God has given us as Christians and just a little shave some of the edges off to make it fit into what the world finds acceptable? Can't you do that? Sure you can. I mean, it's, it's actually quite easy. The, that's not really the question. Is can we do that and still be at peace with God? Well, that actually, the answer to that is no. You, you can't shave God's word into pieces. And pick the ones we like and get rid of the ones we don't. But we can't then begin to say, well, you know what? God has called us uh, to, to be baptized or to, to remember him every, every Sunday when we come together. And you know what? That's a little bit of a burden for us. So we're going to just forget about that one. We'll just pretend that that didn't say that. Well... It's easy to do and wrong. You just, we just can't do that. We have to be resolute. We have to, we have to stand firm in him. Okay, go back into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought. Stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to their shame. And then you go down to the, to the end of the chapter. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Let nothing move you. Now, it goes without saying, then, that there will be things that attempt to move you. Right? If Scripture tells us, don't let anything move you, then we understand and know that the, the reality of that is in that there will be things that attempt to move us, and we need to stand firm. And if we are willing to stand firm, the byproduct of that obedience will be that we will be with Him for eternity. And you talk about being resolute, standing firm. This is what that means, that we will be with him for eternity. This God who is our foundation, this God who is not changing, we will get to be with him for an eternity. I love thinking about that. I really do. I love thinking about eternity. I can't understand it, but I love thinking about it. I love thinking about God. I love thinking about how eternal God is. And often we think of eternity with God because God is eternal. And we think of God being eternal in one direction. But think about God being eternal in the other direction. And it boggles my mind that before the creation of the world, God was and God is. And a thousand years before the creation of the world, God was... God is a million years before the creation of the world. And I, I want to know what's going on. I mean, what's going on in that million years? Now, some of you aren't as curious as I am. and It doesn't bother you, but it, it, it's one of those things that I like thinking about. You know, God is just eternal. And we get to then be a part of that as we are joint heirs with, with Christ, that we will get to be with him for all eternity. But what about, what about the fact that it doesn't fit with our society? Nothing changes that will ever change the truth. The truth will always be the truth, right? If, it's, if it actually is something that is true, then it is true. Now, sometimes the truth changes because our situation changes, but the actual God being true, God being right, God being holy, God being eternal, you're not going to be able to change that. That's who God is. And so whether it fits in our society or not, those things are always going to be true. God is always going to be God. He's always going to be right. He's always going to have a call for us. He's always going to call us to be his children, to be at peace with him. And nothing will ever change that. Now how the world looks at that, how the world receives that or perceives that, then it will be different, right? But does that change God? You go back, I wasn't around then, but you go back 50 years ago, and do we still sing the same songs that we did 50 years ago? Okay, there's a few, right? Uh, you go into our books, and some of them are, are the same. Um, now, there's quite a few songs that we sing that are actually written after that. Um, and you go through our books, and there's, there's quite a few that, that weren't even written 50 years ago, so they're different. Um, so, if you looked at the, the worship service 50 years ago, go back even farther, go 100 years ago, uh, and you'll see there's some changes, right? Just by 
by nature that things will change. We like to learn new songs. We like to do things differently. In fact, the order, I know this is really getting out on a ledge, but even maybe the order of worship may have been different. Does any of that change change the truth of God? Well, no, it doesn't. So look at the change in our world. Does any of the changes that our world will go through or has gone through, does it change the truth about God? No, nothing, nothing changes that will ever change the truth of God. So we do not need then to take the truth of God and fit it into the society that we live in. We need to take the truth of God to the society we live in, and we need to find avenues that, that actually reaches the society we live in, because how we do that might have to change, because our society is different than it was. Uh, the kids growing up now uh, have different attention spans than they did 50 years ago. Just the way it is. They're, they're used to things being far more visual than they were 100 years ago. So we can teach in different ways, but the truth doesn't change. We don't change the truth to fit our society. We may ch change the, the avenue in which we teach it, but we don't change the truth. We need to be a people that are, are steadfast in the gospel. Steadfast in the gospel. Hold to it because it is of first importance. That Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. I want to I close this morning by reading... In Romans chapter 8. And since it is the first Sunday of the, of the year, I thought I would kick this off with uh, one of my favorite passages. Romans 8, starting in verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written? For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons... Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord.